Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. The Psalms of old and the sacred music we enjoy today invite us to explore one of the most beautiful aspects of our traditions of worship, praise. Whether through song, prayer, or other means, acts of praise bring light to our hearts and illuminate the pathways before us. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think how I praise the Lord is through simple small acts. I think daily prayer is one way of just being grateful and praising God for the blessings I have. Praising God looks to me like consistency in, in, the, in the small things, prayer, uh, studying about Him and trying to be like Him. I think praise can be synonymous with appreciation. And oftentimes, I, in my daily prayers, I like to pray that um, and plead with Him that I would recognize His hand in my day because I'm so oblivious and I feel like it's so easy to overlook those things. Love is mutual. Uh, we love Him because He loves us first. And then we can grow that love when we say that out loud, whether prayer or do as He do, you know, be as He is. Welcome everyone, thank you for being here today. The topics for our discussion come from the latter end of the book of Psalms. And the first topic we're gonna talk about is praise ye the Lord. And the second topic is sacred music in our lives. And to help us with our discussion, we wanna welcome back one of our scholars, Dr. Melissa Inouye. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks, hi again, everyone. <laughs> uh, Melissa is a historian with the church history department. And seated next to her is our special guest, Susan H. Porter. Welcome, Sister Porter. Thank you. Sister Porter is the first counselor in the primary general presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So before we get into the specific topics of today's discussion, do you mind contextualizing a little bit the Psalms today for us? Sure. Well, I know we've already looked at kind of the, the Psalms as an overall package of music and songs. But um, just with regard to the ones that we're covering today, it's Psalms 102 through 150. Mm -hmm. Notice there's 150 altogether, 150 psalms. This was so they could basically be read once every week. Okay. In religious services for a three-year cycle. Okay. So we have a Come Follow Me one-year cycle. They had a Psalms three-year cycle. They were mostly used liturgically in worship, but okay. then you could also, just as we, um, you know, we use our hymns in our liturgy, like we sing a sacrament hymn before the administration of the sacrament, but then we could still have those words in our mind. And so there's not, they could also be used individually, you know, just in people's minds or to be read in times of comfort. Thank you so much. Let's focus on our first topic, praise ye the Lord. Why is it that we are constantly encouraged or invited or see this example in the scriptures of praising God? You know, so much in the scriptures the Lord uh, invites us to be grateful. And so to be grateful, we kind of have to open up our eyes and say, what is the Lord doing in my life? And as soon as we see that, we feel grateful. And what bubbles out is praise. We can feel grateful, but until we express it, expressing it is the praise. Okay, um, Melissa, any thoughts on that? 
Well, from our unique Latter-day Saint perspective, God doesn't need mm. praise or props or compliments or anything like that. And I think earthly parents know when I do something for my child and my kid says, thank you, um, that makes me happy. Mm. And, and it's not just because I am like, I like people to thank me, but it's because as that person's mother, I'm happy that they have the maturity to have appreciation for what, they're, what they have. And they're not like being entitled. They're not taking it for granted. They're, they're valuing something. I'm, I'm happy that they have respect for me as their mother. I'm happy that they're not oblivious to the world and they, they can see when good things come into their world. So I think it's a mature, respectful, and aware thing to offer things. So what other emotions can be invoked in us as we praise? Tino. When I think about um, praising, I kind of think about it as uh, emulating. Kind of like, uh, I think the greatest praise you can give your parents is, you know, to show you really understood what they, they taught you and to emulate what you've learned. It kind of reminds me of like a circuit when you're doing um, an electricity. In order for electricity to uh, give light, the circuit has to connect back to the power. And so when I think of praising is, as we praise, we allow ourselves to connect back to the power. And so that way we, the best thing we can do in praising is uh, emulate. So both from the earthly perspective and from the heavenly perspective. So Totino, can you give us an example? If you, you know, let's say you wanna, let's give some honor to your parents. Is there something that you uh, emulate uh, that you learned from them? Sorry, my father passed a year ago. Even though he's not here, I remember all the things that he taught me. Um, even when sometimes when you lose someone, you might question your faith. But you remember the light that they brought you. And so the thing that my father and my mother, I feel like they're, they're known for is uh, charity or humility. Um, we don't have much, but we give what we have and we're grateful for that. So hopefully I can emulate that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Any thoughts uh, from that? When you, just now you say, um, like the corollary between praising our earthly parents and praising our heavenly parents, I guess the, the thing that comes to, to mind is since I'm a parent, I, I know that I, I mess up all the time and I'm like, um, our heavenly parents are far more worthy of praise than I am. But I guess that's, that's the, the difference that kind of motivates us in life, right? We believe that we're created in the image of our heavenly parents will become like our heavenly father and mother. And so it's not audacious to try to emulate them. It's something we can do. And it, it's something that we're designed to be able to succeed in eventually. I love what you've shared, Tino, because I think when we talk about what happens when we praise our heavenly father is we change. As you honor your parents, what happens to you is you are changing. And as we honor, as we open our hearts enough to see what God is doing in our lives, as we feel gratitude and want to be more like them, uh, we change. And that's the greatest gift, I think, of praise. There's a wonderful quote by Elder Uchtdorf uh, about this idea of gratitude that can come through, through praise. And he says, it might sound contrary to the wisdom of the world to suggest that one who is burdened with sorrow should give thanks to God. But those who set aside the bottle of bitterness and lift instead the goblet of gratitude can find a purifying drink of healing, peace, and understanding. 
And I love what Tino shared that even in that time of loss, he's thinking, you know, when he could, you know, be bitter, he's using that as an opportunity to, to praise not only his earthly parents, but heavenly parents as well in that process. The very first Psalm we were assigned to read in this week's lesson was 102, uh, which starts out with a heartfelt plea. That really struck me. Um, not someone who was, who was having a great time in life. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. This is somebody who's struggling. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. There are beautiful examples in the Psalms of people crying unto God in distress. And what strikes me is that they are calling on God in their distress. They haven't given up just because they haven't seen uh, their troubles end or their trials gone away. And as soon as I read that, I, I thought about Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail. He's in trouble and he's suffering and he's saying, oh God, where art thou? And how long is it gonna take for us to see your answer? And th this is happening here. And I think all of us can identify with that. It starts in distress. Eventually they can see God's hand and then they can come to a place of gratitude and praise. I love that, that, that idea of this cycle of pleading, receiving and praising you know, within those Psalms. That's beautiful. Anything you want to add to that, Melissa? I'm just thinking about Psalm 102. And the, as I read this, I, I get the feeling that this person feels really comfortable talking to God. Mm. Like God isn't super distant. Um, just the way that children yell at their parents, this is kind of the feeling I'm getting. So for example, I'm reading the, um, of my study Bible. This is the Robert Alter translation of the Hebrew Bible. For ashes I have eaten as bread, and my drink I have mingled with tears, because of your wrath and your fury, for you raised me up and flung me down. My days inclined like a shadow, and I, like grass, I withered. And you, Lord, forever enthroned in your name for all generations. So you get this sense of, you're so all-powerful, what's up? Why have you done this to me? How come I was like riding high, and now I'm way down here? If you skip ahead to uh, 24, he humbled my strength on the highway. He cut short my days. I say, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are for all generations. Of old, you founded the earth and the heavens your handiwork. They will perish and you will stand. They will all wear away like a garment. Like clothing, you change them and they pass away. But you, your years never end. The sons of your servants dwell safe. Their seed in your presence unshaken. So you can hear a kind of, a kind of longing you know, God, you're so powerful. You have this eternal life, but like our mortal days are so short. And, you know, for, to God, you know, a hundred year lifespan is nothing. But, you know, to anyone who, who, who's ever worried about like, will I be able to be there for my kids? Or, um, you know, what if I leave my family all alone? We know how, how severe loss feels, earthly mortal loss. Mm -hmm. It feels like forever. And, um, and so you can hear that in the voice of this person, but, but the, the hymn, the psalm, is so intimate. Um, it's pleading with God, it's arguing with God, it's pointing out, look at all these things, please help. And, and I think that's, um, that's so real. Melissa, even as you're, I've heard you read a lot of scriptures as we work together. There was something different about the way you read those, those verses. Um, why was there some special meaning behind those particular passages to you? Well, I've had those same feelings. 
um, and and um, I, I study religion. I uh, I wrote a dissertation, which is now a book on Pentecostal Christians in China, and I, I heard so many miracle stories. So many. Uh, we're, we're not the only people who have miracle stories. I heard about a woman who was holding someone's feet when they were raised from the dead because of a prayer that she and another uh, deaconess were, were offering. I've heard so many miracle stories. And, and I, I believe in miracles both um, as a Latter-day Saint and objectively. I just, I, I just see that these kinds of things happen. And so um, in the middle of my struggles with cancer, especially during a super, a super dire time when um, it was like very bad looking, I, I said like, I know this is possible, like, where's the miracle? Like, I, I, don't, I don't even have an academic doubt that this exists, that this, this is possible. So, like, you said you would heal me. So, like, where's my healing? Um, and, you know, I have, I have kids. So I feel that very deeply. And, um, and I guess the question is, um, is it possible for... Instead of like the silence of God, which is so deafening, is it possible for God to give you a kind of long acting miracle? I think that's kind of what I've experienced. Um, I would like, I would rather be like fixed with a snap of the fingers. But, um, but I think I've, what I'm, what I'm, what has kept me alive so long um, past the time when the doctor said I would live is this kind of long acting miracle. But I think that um, this feeling of, of waiting on God, um, you see that a lot in the Psalms. And also this feeling of kind of struggling with God and like pointing out all these awesome things that God is theoretically able to do. You can also see that in Psalms. Sister Porter, I'm reminded as Musa was sharing that in, in, in Psalm 116, it talks about, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplication. Almost as if, we love him because he answers our prayer. What would you say to somebody who is pleading but is not hearing the voice of the Lord? I think all of us have prayed for answers and feeling like maybe we're not getting answers. I like to encourage others to pray to the Lord, to ask him to open my eyes to see his hand. Open my ears, open my heart, because sometimes we can think, well, I want to have a phrase come to my mind, you know, or I want to have this great dream, or it, we've already thought about how the Lord might answer mm. us. But if we can and, and ask him, help me see thy hand in my life. His hand is in our lives. And it may be, I loved what you were saying. You, you wanted the instant miracle, but it was a, how did you phrase it, Melissa? Long-acting miracle. Long-acting. <laughs> and sometimes I think our answers are long-acting. They come in little pieces, and maybe it's something someone says to us. Maybe it's something we see. May, and we can put these pieces together to know, okay, the Lord is acting in my life, and he's leading me to an answer. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts to support us. Very beneficial uh, counsel. As we you know, wrap up this first topic of praising the Lord, uh, any final thoughts or any of the Psalms that we've read that have particular meaning to you in regards to praising the Lord? Do you know, I was just 
back in 116 again in verse 12. And the psalmist asks, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Sometimes after a prayer has been answered or we see God's hand in our life or we receive a great blessing, we receive comfort and we ask ourselves, what, what can I give the Lord for everything he's done to bless me? I, I love the word mercy is everywhere in the Psalms. The Lord is so merciful to us, we're so weak. And I'm just so grateful that he's merciful to me in my weakness and still blesses me. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed, it just feels good. And I just wanna thank you for sharing with us on this first topic that we've been discussing on Praise Ye the Lord. I think music is something we should lean on when building our faith because it's something that we can use to better our lives, to remind us of what's really important and also to help us through difficult times or through struggles. Music invites the spirit into my life in a, in a beautiful way. I love having um, uplifting sacred music in my home, in the car when I drive, when I'm thinking, when I'm praying. It helps put me in a spirit to receive inspiration and revelation. When I was a kid, my mom told me that people who can sing, they often praise God in the previous lives. I mean, I don't have a really good voice, but I try to praise Him because I feel like that's one way I can express my gratitude to Him. That's one way that I give my talent, the things that He has given me, and I use it to give it back. So our second topic today is sacred music in our lives. I'd love to get uh, some thoughts from the audience on how has sacred music been a blessing in your life? Diane. There's been a lot of music that has touched me through the years that has made me feel peace and comfort, but none has ever impacted me so much as the first time I heard the song Gethsemane. When the primary children sang that song, the words and the music just touched me clear to my soul. And I got chills and, and emotional and, um, and just the words. He, he went willingly to Gethsemane all that he felt, all the sad, the bad, the wicked, the evil that he felt, he felt the pain that we would ever know. The hardest thing that ever was done, the greatest pain that ever was known, the biggest war that ever was won, this was done by Jesus. The fight was won by Jesus. And when I heard those words, uh, I mean, I've always had a testimony of the atonement. I've always had a testimony of Jesus Christ. But just hearing those words in the context that they were, I knew that he loves me now and he loved me then. Gethsemane, Jesus Loves Me is, will always be my favorite song. Thank you so much, Diane, for sharing that. I'm curious, you said that you've always known this, this doctrine of, of Gethsemane and the atonement. Why do you think hearing those words in the form of a song changed the meaning so much for you? Um, I mean, we knew what he did, but it's repeated, Jesus loves me. And we don't think about that sometimes when we think about the atonement. We think that he sends me the Holy Ghost and he did it because he loved me. And this song just brought it all out to me. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Sister Porter, why are the hymns such an important part of our worship? I love that question. And I love that you shared a primary song. <laughs> I love that primary music teaches the pure and simple doctrine of the church in such powerful ways. 
Does anybody have a a favorite primary song they'd like to share with us? Yes. It's a new one called My Own Sacred Grove. I I love the lyrics um, and it's got a nice tune and I sing it with uh, my, my grandkids. I have a hard time memorizing, but through music, I'm able to remember um, the lyrics that, that bear testimony of, well, this one of um, Joseph Smith and how we can all have that same experience that he had and grow our own testimonies. Thank you, I love that. Here, two points you made. One is, as soon as we put something to music, we can remember it better. And then second of all, you said that this particular song helped you take the sacred grove experience of Joseph Smith, which we all understand, but help you think about yourself and your own sacred grove experiences. Thank you for sharing that. So what is the role of music in our worship? Uh, You know, specifically with, you know, working with the primary, there's a big emphasis on singing and sharing time. Yes, it's what you have just shared with us. It brings it deep into our souls. It touches our souls in a way uh, that nothing else does. When we went from a three hour block to the two hour block, you know, everything had to be trimmed and cut shorter. But one thing that was not cut was primary singing time. And in primary, there are two 20 minute segments for learning the gospel of Jesus Christ. One we do in singing time and one we do in class time. Sister Porter, do you have a favorite primary song? (laughs) Oh, yes. I love uh, I'm Trying to Be Like Jesus. That's my favorite song. Is that yours? That's my favorite. Yeah. I love it. There's a Latter-day Saint uh, choral director named Lainey McLean Armstrong, and she lives in the Bay Area in California in the United States. And she was explaining to me why um, her favorite song, I'm Trying to Be Like Jesus, is such a good song. I just thought it was interesting. So she says, um, musically speaking, you know, it's, I'm trying to be like Jesus, I'm following in his ways. And then in the, uh, in, there's a part where it says, at times I'm tempted to make the wrong choice. And at that moment, the melody goes into a minor key and it kind of conveys that feeling of tension, that feeling of like, of sadness, like, you know, the temptation brings. Um, and then it, it, you know, but I, at times I'm tempted, but the Holy Spirit enters into my heart singing. And then the chorus, which is the refrain, is also like the musical climax of the song um, because that's when you go high, like love one another as Jesus loves you. Um, and it kind of, it swells and it goes, um, goes into my heart saying love. And then there's wow. this like swelling chorus and, and the kind of main message of the song is in the chorus and it repeats, you know, mm-hmm. three times every time you sing it. We have so much access to amazing media and, and songs. We had a, a question come in from our viewers uh, about the flip side of that. And uh, I'd love to, to go there and, and see if we can help answer this question and get some, some additional advice on how we can protect our homes and things like that. Hi, I'm Ezra. And I'm Liam. We're from Las Vegas, Nevada. There is a scripture in Psalms that talks about having a Lord build our house. But how do we protect our homes when bad media is just one click away? How can we protect our homes when bad media is just one click away? What, are, what thoughts do you have from some of the parents in here about ways that you protect your homes from bad media entering in? Mike. One of the things that we've done to protect our home is just being a good example. And I think as you bring in good media, then it gives the rest of the family an opportunity to feel the spirit and to feel the warmth and the peace that comes from good media, which that example hopefully will carry over and they will, our children will have a desire to have that same spirit from good media. 
And, and Mike, have you seen uh, a difference in your home as you've tried to implement these things? Yeah, I think we have seen a difference. And it takes effort okay. because there's all kinds of media. And it seems like sometimes the, you know, the bad outweighs the good sometimes. So it takes effort. But what I've noticed, I think the effort is well worth it. Uh, but it takes a conscious effort. Now, in, in the beginning, do you feel like, was there any pushback from your kids? You know, <laughs> mom's nodding her head. Uh, Lisa, what do you think? What, what, was there pushback from the kids as you tried to kind of replace some of the negative things? Always, yeah. <laughs> and how did you handle that? Just never give up the, the trying to always teach why it's important. And, and like Mike said, be a good example. What we are listening to or watching or allowing to be in our environment. Thank you both for sharing that. Great ideas. Any other thoughts? I had an experience with words of hymns as an answer to a prayer, and I didn't even know what hymn it was from. A number of years ago, my husband uh, suffered kidney failure, and he had one transplant. It was rejected. It only lasted about 30 days. He had a second one that lasted a little less than a year. And so he was on dialysis for a number of years. At the same time, he was serving as a full-time general authority. And we were praying year after year for his kidneys to be healed. There's nothing doctors can do with, with kidneys. And one day I took him to the dialysis center and I was driving home and into my mind came this phrase, all now rejoice, the long night is over. And it filled me with so much joy. I knew the Lord was telling me this long night of, of not only dialysis, but many, many surgeries and, and ill health was going to be over. And I walked in the door and I thought, I know that's from a hymn, but I don't even know what <laughs> hymn it's from. So I started looking and I found it and you probably all know what it's from, but it was the hymn, Hark All Ye Nations and it's in the second verse. And it's referring to the fact that the long night is over because of the restoration of the gospel. But the Lord was using that phrase to tell me that I could rejoice our long night was over. And so I, I was just fully expecting that night, the next morning, you know, next week, we were going to receive uh, this blessing. It was eight years later. The interesting thing though was that because I had had such a powerful experience with that phrase of that hymn, I had hope. I knew what I had heard. And so people kept saying to me, you know, his health was going down, more and more surgeries. How can you still be so happy and positive? It's because of that impression. It was so clear and it was through a hymn. And eight years later, he received a transplant from our oldest son that completely restored his health we were able to take an assignment in Moscow, Russia. Singing those hymns, even though you don't know them well, a Heavenly Father can use the beautiful doctrine taught in those hymns to bring you comfort, to bring you revelation, and bring you peace. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Kaden. So for me, I haven't really been able to like connect spiritually with hymns super well. Um, but one experience I've had, as a youth group, we went to um, the Manti pageant. Mm. And after everything, we were getting ready to leave. And we just kind of had like, you know, an hour to ourselves to just kind of hang out. And so 
I went up and uh, just kind of chilled at the temple grounds and just like laid there and listened to, you know, the natural sounds that, you know, God gave us, so the birds chirping, the trees. I've never been able to like feel that connection with God any other way through sound. And so I feel like just, you know, nature is an excellent hymn for us. It's also beautifully encapsulated in that primary song. Whenever I hear the song of a bird or look at the blue, blue sky or feel the rain on my face. I love that, nature being a hymn. I'm reminded of Alma uh, when he's talking, just speaking about nature um, can be a song. And, and Alma, he talks about redeeming love. And if it's okay, I, I'd love to read that scripture and then perhaps get some thoughts on the connection between redeeming love and being described as a song. And in Alma chapter five, he says, and now behold, I say unto you, my brethren, if ye have experienced a change of heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can you feel so now? Why do you think he describes redeeming love as a song? Redeeming love, I mean, I know for me, when I've made a poor choice and then felt like the Lord has forgiven me, Wow, that is the best feeling. And, and that is a time to, to sing and rejoice and praise the Lord. I love that, thank you so much. Melissa? I have often been a primary pianist. I was asked to play this hymn, which I, if it's okay to d despise him, I despise this hymn. I was like, ah, oh, can't believe we're gonna sing this hymn. I hate <laughs> this song. Uh, and then, but I, I played the song and then in the chorus, all of a sudden I felt this like outpouring of the spirit. It was so powerful. It like overwhelmed me. I was like trying to read the music through like tears. I think the message of the song was like, I'm here, you know, I'm with you and I'm with everyone. And I think uh, for me, that was, that was a super powerful experience. And I guess hymns are powerful and something in that moment, God spoke to me which, through, through a hymn that I really don't like. And we talked about this in other episodes of how God can reach us in, in so many different ways. And everyone, ways. in different, yeah, different people in that room. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Melissa, for sharing with us, for being so open and honest with us. And uh, thank you all for participating in this discussion and sharing some of your thoughts and feelings as well. Sister Porter, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm excited as we go into footnotes to ask some more questions about hymns. This has been a really productive uh, discussion on sacred music in our lives. During this last discussion, something that the Spirit taught me was that the Lord is able to reach people in various ways. Um, for me, it is very oftentimes music. For others, it may be different types of expression, but I think that the Lord loves music because it really, in a way, kind of, it's just an amplification of expression for, for our feelings for Him and our reverence toward Him as well. One of the things that the Spirit taught me about the discussion of music and the role of music is to always be aware of the Spirit and do it to invite the Spirit. And being aware that I'm not only doing it for me, but I'm also doing it for my entire family as I set that uh, example. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. All right, we have a lot to talk about. I'm really excited because with Psalms, there's so much that we can get into. Where do we want to start? Well, one, uh, one fun fact. So Psalm 119, which has uh, different Hebrew letters for different sections, is a massive acrostic, you know, where the 
where it goes down through the alphabet, and each, the, the first of each eight lines is attached to one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there's eight lines, so that's 176 lines. So Psalm 119 is the longest psalm and actually the longest chapter in the Bible. Wow. Wow, I did not know that. Uh, any thoughts, anything, any insights you want to share that from your study this week, Sister Porter? Yeah, as I studied these uh, chapters, one thing came out of the exact psalm you were mentioning, Melissa, which is uh, 119, and it's uh, verses 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. That really struck me because I thought, if I can understand a, a point of doctrine or a commandment or an invitation of the Lord, if, if I can receive understanding, then I will want to keep mm. it to the end with my whole heart. I love that. It reminds me a lot of um, President Packer, uh, what he taught of true doctrine understood changes attitude and behavior when you understand the doctrine. And I never made that connection. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's really neat. Yeah. The other one I thought of was a verse in, in, in the Book of Mormon when it talks about, you know, the contention between Nephites and Lamanites and where he said, well, we've already tried the sword and that didn't work. So let's try the virtue of the word of God, mm. which we see in many instances changed hearts. But I even thought of that with my children, especially my oldest as a young boy, he just fought any, you know, family rule or anything. But as soon as he could understand it, he was the biggest proponent. And I thought, for myself, I think I'm going to pray more to receive understanding of commandments of doctrine. Sister Porter, I'm looking at your super careful notes, and I notice all these times what you highlight, um, merciful. Have you been following this track of the merciful? It was really striking to me reading these uh, Psalms, how many times the word mercy and merciful was used. What's one where you really, where you really like it? Well, you know, striding right off in 103, 103, because the psalmist is saying, I am so weak. We are so weak. And I'm thinking, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> you know, verse 2 in 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. But look at 8 and 9. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and mm. plenteous in mercy. And then he said, he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. But I love the Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Mm. So that means maybe he has enough mercy for when I'm making the same mistakes over and over. Uh, I love this idea of mercy. There's a little bit, you know, we learned about it from the Book of Mormon. Uh, when Nephi starts out talking about tender mercies. Uh, is there a connection with tender mercies in any of the Psalms? Uh, where does that come from? There is. It, it appears in the Psalms, this phrase, tender mercies. The actual mercies. phrase, tender mercies. Because a lot of times, you know, we're, you know, yes. we, some people may think that Elder Bednar coined the phrase what? <laughs> tender mercies, but it comes from somewhere, right? Uh, yeah, 25.6, yeah, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies uh -huh. and thy loving kindnesses. Uh -huh. uh, I love that. I love that idea of, the difference between mercies and tender mercies. Right, well, that's the thing. I was thinking about, you know, how we talked about how sometimes the Psalms show this kind of imperious and um, dominating image. Um, but when we think about tender mercies, it, it, you know, the way that we talk about tender mercies in Latter-day Saint culture mm -hmm. are kind of like small kindnesses or, or, or 
or ways in which we can tell that God is looking after us, even in the little tiny details of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that idea of mercy is much more intimate than, you know, sometimes when you think about mercy, you know, be merciful to us, oh God, have mercy on us. That's a very kind of like a subject kind of petitioning a king. But I love these other contrasting images of tender mercy, which we have in Psalms as well, and then also in the Book of Mormon, mm. where a tender mercy is something that's intimate, it's something that's kind and considerate, yes. and that's who our heavenly parents are too. Um, they're not just zapping us from, from high thrones, um, they're right there with us when we're scrabbling on the bathroom floor crying or something like that. Yeah, I love that. Do you think it changes our perspective or at least our understanding, going back to what you mentioned, of how our heavenly parents are and how we respond, knowing that there is that tender side to them? Yes. Sometimes we think when we pray, our prayer needs to be very neat and specific language and very respectful. Mm. But if we know how tender and merciful they are, we're more apt, don't you think, to just open our hearts and just tell them, tell them what we're feeling. And then uh, they're more easily able to answer and show us their tender mercy. And that feeling does come through so, in so many of the Psalms, right? Where like yes. someone's just kind of like, I'm just gonna lay it all out, God. Yes, yeah, just say it like it is. Melissa, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is there a Psalm that you wanted to touch on and discuss a little bit? Well, I really love Psalm 137, partly because it's, it's often um, put to song like today. Um, it, it's historically you know, been sung as a spiritual, it's, a, I guess you said a reggae song. Mm, yeah. I learned it with my children at a kind of children's music camp. And what I love about it is it, it kind of reminds me of the Latter-day Saint, Come, Come, Ye Saints, mm. um, written from exile. Um, you know, we had, the Latter-day Saints had been kicked out of our home in the United States and we had left mm -hmm. the United States and we were headed out of America mm -hmm. to, to Mexico where we could be safe. Um, and this, this is written from Babylon, mm. where they had been uh, deported to Babylon. And I'll just read the whole thing. It's not too yeah. long. Is that okay? It's mm -hmm. so beautiful and famous. By Babylon's streams, there we sat. Oh, we wept when we recalled Zion. Oh, I'm reading the Robert Alter translation just because it's a little more clear in the middle part. Okay. Um, but the King James Version is, is beautiful too. On the poplars there, we hung up our lyres. For there our captors had asked of us words of song and our plunderers rejoicing, sing us from Zion's songs. How can we sing a song of the Lord on foreign soil? Should I forget you, Jerusalem? May my right hand wither. May my tongue cleave to my palate if I do not recall you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my chief joy. Recall, O Lord, the Edomites on the day of Jerusalem, saying, raise it, raise it to its foundation. Daughter of Babylon, the despoiler, Happy who pays you back in kind for what you did to us. Happy who seizes and smashes your infants against the rock. So this is clearly written from a very despairing place. Mm -hmm. It goes to a very dark place. Some people, if we were to kind of read this psalm with an eye to, um, with an eye to this, this sense of if something is not perfect or not perfectly ethical in the way that we understand it, mm -hmm. um, we should just throw out the whole thing. But I think we can have mercy on, on the people who wrote this psalm or the author of this psalm. Sometimes people who are in despair um, say, mm -hmm. say truly um, despairing things. And, and you can see in this, this emotion, this profound feeling of loss and the feeling that they had 
when, um, when they were taken from their home and from their, from their holy places. So I, I think we can have mercy for them and we can also have mercy for scriptures. Um, scriptures are not always perfect manuals for how to live life. They're accurate capturings of real relationships with God and the way that people talk to God, the way that people hear God speaking to them. Really, emotion comes out. And, and I, yeah. I appreciate you saying that. It really does remind us that, you know, take a second to think of their situation, where they're coming from. You know, so that's beautiful. Thank and we you. can have that same mercy also for people um, in our own history, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, many of our records from, from the 19th century are available today. And, um, you know, sometimes people said things that in, in a similar manner are examples of what not to do or not to say. Um, also coming from places that are different. And I think we can have mercy for, for those people too. No one has thrown out the Bible. No one has thrown out Psalm 137. You know, if we can accept right. it as a human description of a, of a kind of moment that's beautiful and terrible. Yeah. Um, so with these, with these Psalms, uh, I love how we have that comparison. In addition to some of those dark, gloomy moments, there are some really fun, happy moments of joy and praising as we talked about in the previous uh, portion you know, just this worship and songs of praise and joy. Uh, Sister Porter, do you have any experience or what are your thoughts on how we can use praise and singing to express the joy that comes from worshiping our heavenly parents? That's, that's such a good question because the very last psalm in Psalms uh, 150, when I was uh, reading it as our final one, is exactly what you're saying. It's just six verses. Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power. And then in verse three, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with psaltery and harp, praise him with the timbrel and dance, praise him with stringed instruments and organs. And then the final line, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. With my husband, we were at the uh, BYU Jerusalem Center. And so one Friday late afternoon, we went down to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, which of course is uh, very holy in the Jewish faith. Uh, To welcome the Sabbath as the sun is going down, and as you know, Sabbath for the Jewish faith uh, starts at the sundown on Friday and goes till sundown on Saturday. So we uh, were standing uh, respectfully back a little bit as the sun went down. There were large groups of men and women gathered at the wall. And as the sun dipped down, the women gathered in a big circle and the men gathered and started to sing and dance. It was amazing. (laughs) And they were singing and dancing to welcome in the Sabbath. They came and welcomed us into their group. And so we joined in this circle uh, that were dancing and singing and praising. It was incredible. That sounds awesome. Isn't that incredible? I love that. And one thing it reminded me of that I've just been thinking about is Enos. Remember when Enos went into the forest and he's kind of reflecting and he says he remembers two things his father taught him. One was... He taught him the words of eternal life. And the second was the joy of the saints. And I've thought about that a lot with COVID, how so many of us for about a year, we're just watching sacred meeting on Zoom. 
And then we can come back to church, but many of us aren't. It's kind of comfortable on the couch, you know, especially with little kids. We don't have to drag them to church or whatever. And so I've been thinking about how can we remind one another of the joy it is to gather. And I saw that so beautifully at the Wailing Wall. It really does change the setting to, to be able to sing those hymns together and, and praise in that manner. And Sister Porter, would you mind telling us a little bit about this process of the, the new hymn book and the selection committee that you are part of? I think the members are so excited about this and they want it next week. <laughs> <laughs> Last week. Last week. That's right. Because they know that we're going to be introducing a more cultural uh, variety and inclusion. Can you explain that a little bit? How is that going to work? Yes. Well, first of all, when the um, church music committee opened it up to the members of the church all over the world and invited them to submit hymns, they were expecting what they thought was a high number, 6,000 new hymns. 16,000 new hymns were submitted. So in thinking about this, they recognized between, behind every one of those 16,000 hymns was someone's prayer, faith, testimony, desire. So they wanted to implement a very careful process for considering each one. So volunteer committees of musicians in every area of the church have been assembled to go through these because I wouldn't be the best person to review a hymn written by a, a member in Kenya. That, that's not a musical tradition that I would be familiar enough with. So, so these committees are going through this and they have five uh, elements that they're looking for. That they increase faith in and worship of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. They teach doctrine with power and clarity. They invite joyful singing. They comfort the weary and inspire us to endure in faith. And finally, they're unifying across the world, across cultures. Wow, that's so awesome. That's so great that you're, um, that you've thought about those like cultural differences in music because music is so dependent on the local tradition. It's interesting too. It gives us a chance to go through every word of every hymn. For instance, even in hymns that we all know and love, sometimes if the hymn was written 150 years ago, a word used then may not mean what it means now. Mm. That's so and, true. And so I, I appreciate that. They're, they're being uh, careful with words. What do words mean? Are they unifying and inclusive of all So members? should we prepare ourselves that some of our favorite hymns may not make the cut because of, you know, maybe there's some, a, a different meaning or a phrase that doesn't quite fit right doctrinally? Are we, do, should we be ready to do without some of our favorites? You know, in most cases like that, even changing a word or a phrase so they'll, so they'll actually change that in the hymn. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Now, see, that's another process because copyright issues, mm -hmm. going back, you know, of course, being respectful to the composer. So a lot of those discussions are going on. I mean, hymns 150 years ago, we don't speak to anybody, but, but trying to go through it very carefully, it would be disruptive to change everything mm -hmm. in every hymn, but trying to focus in on those that can be changed and, and really be more... I know what you mean. There's us. like a balance I mean? between There's like the way that we, we've always sung a hymn. Yes. And then I remember I attended a Protestant church and they had kind of fixed a lot of the hymns, mm. um, kind of the old missionary 19th century mm -hmm. hymns. 
and there were just so many fixes. It was just hard for me to kind of like feel the feel yes. the the power of the hymn. Like in modern times, when you hear like a remake of a song or a movie, it's like <laughs> you have to kind of preserve some of that original uh, right. music or style yes. Yes. without changing it too much to go too far away. Everybody that I can talk to about the hymns is on pins and needles waiting for the hymn book. And I'm glad to know that it is going to be a really long time, but it sounds like it's going to be so worth it. So Sister Porter, I, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm sure that the there's a lot of revelation that goes into this process. Has there been any specific revelatory moment for you while working on this project? Do you know, it's really increased my testimony of councils in the church. Mm -hmm. Because, see, we could just take two PhDs in music and put them in a room. You know, one PhD in, you know, like text and one in, in written music and say, can you figure this out? But these committees at church headquarters are a combination of people who have degrees in music, very educated, and also lay members of the church. I mean, I enjoy music, I play the piano, I don't have any degrees. And so, as you sit in council, you may go in, you know, maybe the assignment's been review the text of this hymn for this week. Mm. And you're like, oh, you know, I know clearly what needs to happen. <laughs> and, and you present that and then you start listening. And that's when you see revelation come, when you can be open enough and realize my purpose in this committee is not to railroad through my idea or That's have That's gotta be hard to kind of put that logic. aside, right? Yeah. But to listen to the Spirit, and it's, it's been a great, it's a great revelatory experience. That makes me think about what President Nelson said in uh, his, I think it was one of his first talks to the church as the president of the church, where he said that good inspiration depends on good information. Mm. So if you don't have the right people in the room, you won't have the revelation that God could, could offer. So while we're on this topic of hymns, Sister Porter, do you have a favorite hymn that you just hope makes the cut? I would have to say my favorite hymn is Redeemer of Israel. Oh, I like that one. When uh, my husband passed away five years ago and we were planning the funeral, and I said, I want Redeemer of Israel, one of the, one of the hymns. And I remember singing it as a prayer. Mm. It wasn't a prayer of praise, it was a prayer of supplication. Mm. Redeemer of Israel, our only delight, on whom for a blessing we call. And I sang, on whom for a blessing I call. You know, at times like that when you feel like, okay, I, I need help, mm -hmm. I need a blessing to move forward in faith and knowledge and in confidence and I can't do it uh, without, without him. That idea of uh, calling for that blessing and then later in the hymn on really leaning, leaning on him. So that's a very meaningful hymn to me, a hymn of supplication and prayer. Thank you, I love that, it's beautiful. You know, earlier we had talked about, you know, this idea of, in, in the Psalms of uh, understanding leading to a change in behavior. Do you think that specifically with the children's hymn book that some of these changes being geared towards primary kids to better help them understand the doctrines of the gospel at such a, an early age? It has a profound effect. I mean, when you ask adults, what do you remember from primary? If I was to ask you from that, what would you both say that you remember from your primary years? I'd probably launch into song. 
songs? Absolutely. There's, you know, uh, my, the song that stood out to me the most when I was a kid was the one about, I can't wait till daddy comes home. Okay. And, uh, and not in the way that most people would, would assume. I use that as a, I want to be that dad. Mm. You know, and so that's what stuck with me. Yes. I appreciate you mentioning that because there's been a sensitivity about children who don't have that situation at home. You're the second person who's mentioned to me, not that song, but it was someone with one of our songs about mothers mm. and saying that filled her with a desire to be that kind of a mother. And my dad passed away when I was young, when wow. I was in primary. Wow. And that always, that it, it stuck with me yeah. that, you know what, even though my situation not be there now, yeah. that's how I want to be when I get older. That's beautiful. Melissa? I remember someone saying that the hymns were their favorite part of, of the whole Sunday meeting. Mm. She had a, a kind of different situation. She was, she was a single parent and um, she was raising her kid by herself. And, and she felt like, you know, so, so many of the things that we said um, over the pulpit just weren't geared toward her. Mm. But in the singing, um, we were all united. We were all uniting our breath um, we were kind of, our brains were kind of zeroing in on the, the, the pitches together. We were hearing each other sing and kind of adjusting to each other's pitches. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is a, a, a message that, you know, there's so many ways that we can uh, reach out to each other and, and live the doctrine of Christ without, that aren't like the stuff that we say mm -hmm. and the kind of things that we repeat. Mm -hmm. um, we can mm -hmm. find other ways to be unified with people, whether that's you know, serving alongside them or just being with them mm -hmm. or um, knowing things about them or um, whatever it is, you know, just working with people in multiple dimensions. I love that. Melissa, thank you. This has been a great conversation as we talked about Praise You the Lord and sacred music in our lives. Thank you so much again. And thank you all for watching at home. We really appreciate the time you spend with us and want to continue to encourage you to follow through on any promptings that you may have received throughout this show. Thanks again, and please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.